Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A joyous Pentecost to all of us. This is the day we celebrate today, this day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost that we see fulfilled today was actually one of the Old Covenant major feast days that God set out in the Old Covenant liturgical calendar of remembrances, the cycle of feasts that were set to remember the mighty and great works of God, delivering his people out of bondage and bringing them to himself. Pentecost was one of those celebrations, like Passover and the like. And every year on this day, Every year, not only the Hebrews that were in Jerusalem, but also the Hebrews of the Great Dispersion, the Hebrews all over the known world, they would all converge into Jerusalem at this time. I've been to Jerusalem. I grew up in New Orleans. And here's one so you can get a mental picture. The size of Jerusalem at the time of Christ and at this time was smaller than the size of the New Orleans French Court. I want you to picture the Jews of the dispersion from all over the known world and those therein. This place would have been wall-to-wall people. This is the way it was on these major feast days. And to understand what was fulfilled by God the Holy Spirit being sent to us on this day of Pentecost, in order to see it clearly in God's perfect order of salvation, we have to remember the wondrous event that all those years they celebrated Pentecost because it had occurred for them. Pentecost, the yearly remembrance, this is what they celebrated, the yearly remembrance of God giving the law to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. That blessed event is what they remembered year after year. We find all of this in Exodus 19 and then for a number of chapters. But there's something else that God called them to celebrate during this Feast of Weeks, which we know as Pentecost. And that was they were to celebrate the law being given to Moses, but also they were to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. Now I tell you that even Hebrew scholars, they know why they celebrated the giving of the law, but they were never quite sure as to why the first fruits of the harvest for that year were blended to be celebrated on that day. We'll find out as it's fulfilled this day. But let's look at some of the reality of that first event on Mount Sinai. And I want you to pay very close attention to the details that we're given. Because you will see them when the Holy Spirit is poured out and acts to perfection and to fulfillment. God going up to Mount Sinai, excuse me, God coming down upon Mount Sinai to meet with Moses occurred 50 days after the Passover had happened and they'd been freed from their slavery. Now God had had his people, he told Moses, tell my people, consecrate yourselves before this day and come to the base of the mountain. And so they consecrated themselves with ceremonial preparation washing. They consecrated themselves, separated themselves to God. And here is the scene when our Lord descended upon the top of the mountain. When he descended, we are told that there came a great noise of an extremely loud storm. You had thunderings, you had lightning, so much that everything shook to the point where people were afraid. 
And as God descended upon that holy mountain at that moment, we are told that the mountaintop alone was covered with fire and flames. And this is what Moses would ascend up into. He would go up and meet with God in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the fire and the flame. And for 40 days, God would speak to Moses. Moses would hear his voice. And we're told then that the finger of God, very specifically, the finger of God wrote upon the side of the mountain the law that he had spoken to Moses on those tablets that were being to be delivered, read, and kept, not only on tablets, but within the people for their order of life that God had established by this law. And we also know another part of this event. Moses being up in the midst of fire and flames for 40 days, Israel, young in their faith, they doubted that Moses was still alive. They thought he'd been burned up at the top of the mountain. And so with their young and adulterous hearts, they fashioned for themselves out of all the jewelry and beautiful things that they'd gotten from Egypt, which God had intended to be used for the building of his tabernacle and the celebration of his worship. They took those items and they melted them and built a calf. And they begin to worship another God other than the Lord, their God. And because of their adulterous hearts, the result of the law being given that day, and their turning from God and worshiping another God, 3,000 Hebrews fell dead in the wilderness that day. 3,000, remember that number. This was the scene of the original Pentecost. 50 days after the Passover, Pentecost meaning 50 where God ascended in noise and fire and flame and storm and gave the law to his people. And from that day forward, God's people, 50 days after every Passover, would converge in Jerusalem to remember the law being given and also to offer sacrifices for the first of the harvest that God had given them to sustain their lives. Now that we see that picture of Pentecost on Mount Sinai that day, now let's see how wondrously and beautifully and perfectly our God fulfills that day by sending God the Holy Spirit now to be poured into the lives of his beloved people. So here's the scene in Jerusalem on this day. Again, wall-to-wall people, people that had come from everywhere speaking all different languages because of the countries from which they came. They converge on Jerusalem. And like the Hebrew people were told to consecrate themselves before the event of Mount Sinai, what do we remember that the 120 disciples were doing during the time between the Ascension and Pentecost? They too are consecrating themselves, but they're doing it through the washing of prayer. As they would pray and prepare their souls, thanking God, but also prayers of anticipation, like we talked about last week, to receive the blessed Holy Spirit. And 50 days after Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us, God the Holy Spirit descended upon them. But it was no longer a descending upon a mountain. It was descending upon the last and final mountain, God's own people, His holy church. At the top of that mountain will be healing worshipped in spirit and truth. And God descends upon the whole, that holy mountain. And what does this scene look like? It looked just like Sinai. When God descended 
Notice what second chapter of Acts tells us. There was the sound of a mighty storm, a mighty rushing wind, big tornado. That doesn't say there was a mighty rushing wind. It says there was a sound of it, just like on Sinai. And where on Mount Sinai, God, when he descended, fire encompassed the top of that mountain. What is it that came upon the heads of each disciple in that room? Fire. Tongues of fire descended upon the top of his holy mountain, his church, his people. And they were gifted with God, the Holy Spirit. It's as if God wanted all who were witnessing this to know that in this day I am fulfilling Mount Sinai. On this day, I am fulfilling, I am fulfilling what I promise. And where God wrote the law with his finger on tablets of stone on the side of the mountain, what does he do on this day as he fills us with God the Holy Spirit? He writes his law upon our mind and upon our hearts. For on this day is fulfilled the prophecy of Pentecost, one of them by the great prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 20, chapter 31, where God says this through the prophet. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write them upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so it was that God's people filled with the Holy Spirit on this blessed day. But we have to go one step further because we forgot one thing. What was the result of this experience, the fulfillment of Sinai at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit being poured into his people? Remember the result in Mount Sinai of old. 3,000 people died because of their <clears throat> adulterous hearts. By the Spirit-empowered word of St. Peter and all the disciples who were speaking languages that they had never spoken before. They are declaring Jesus Christ alive, resurrected, ascended to everyone that is there. How many were baptized that day, are we told? 3,000. 3,000 died with adulterous hearts on the day on Mount Sinai. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out, 3,000 spring to life by the rushing waters of the Holy Spirit. And they become deliverers of the great gospel, the person of Jesus Christ, in and through their lives. And the world, my friends, would never be the same. I find it amazing God's perfection and order in fulfilling all things and giving us gifts out of his mercy that we could never earn and deserve. When we look at all that God did in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this day, Pentecost, what is it that we are to remember about our identity, our truest identity, and our divine purpose by the God who has filled us with himself on this day? I'm going to offer you just two reflections on that. The first is this. My friends, you and I have been filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit that we may become the aroma of Christ to this world. The aroma of Christ to this world. St. Paul says it this way in his letter, his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 2. He says, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and the other we are the aroma of life leading to life, the aroma of Christ. 
every few years. I like to remind us of this example to help us understand just what the Holy Spirit has done and just what he has transformed us to become and to continue to become. By using the example, and some of you will remember this and some of you are new and haven't heard it, the example of making coffee. Let's think about this for just a second. How do we make coffee? We take mostly clear, colorless, tasteless, odorless water. And I say mostly because we live in Fort Worth, the DFW area, and we do smell the water and taste it every now and then. But stay with me. Mostly colorless, tasteless, odorless water. We put it in the container in which we're going to make the coffee. And then what we do, we take dark-colored, very fragrant, beautiful-smelling coffee grounds, and we place them into the coffee filter. And then the water heats up. The process begins, the fusion process, if you will. The water heats up, and it begins to leap up and pass through, joining itself to and passing through those coffee grounds. And what is happening as that colorless, odorless, tasteless water passes through the coffee grounds that are there? It begins to transform more and more as more water passes through. And over time, the color is becoming darker, the smell richer, the taste full. It is being transformed. And by the end of the process, water has obtained a new identity. We don't get it out of there and pour ourselves a glass of water, do we? It has a new name. It has a new identity. And that new identity is coffee. The coffee that we drink has become, that water has become the expressor of the nature of the coffee grounds. Do you see that? Many of us enjoy the smell of coffee. It draws us to have a cup. We enjoy the taste. And we enjoy the energy it brings. My friends, I tell you, this is precisely what happened on the day of Pentecost. Dead, lifeless people who had no prayer of becoming and growing in the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly no prayer that they become the expressors of the fullness of God to this world. And his love and his salvation. By the joining of the Holy Spirit throughout our lives, we are darkening in our color, becoming more tasteful, expressing the aroma of Christ that others may experience it and to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. You see, on the day of Pentecost, St. Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit and all those other disciples, they declared through their very being the reality of God. And many that day caught the aroma. And they wanted what those disciples had. And the 3,000 were baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and would go throughout the world absolutely transforming the world as they knew it by the design of God because they had become the continuing ministry in the flesh of the incarnate Jesus Christ. That is our identity. And it's one of our great purposes in the earth is to express through us, live out the expression of God so others may be drawn into the same salvation we know and have experienced.
second and last reflection for you is this. It's about our identity stretching back to the original Pentecost and Exodus. And if we blink reading that Exodus chapter, that account, we miss something so incredibly important about our identity stated then and fulfilled on this day of Pentecost. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, listen to these words. God speaks. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. When we hear those words, our minds usually think our own blessed Saint Peter, who spoke them to us in one of his epistles, because he says the exact words, we are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. God spoke it back at Sinai. This was his desire for his people. And he's fulfilled it now. But what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? A holy nation. What is this role? And rather than going through all of it, and there is a lot, I want to offer one thing. Because I think it's so pertinent to who we must become right now. For the sake of what is going on all around us in this world. God's design and desire and ordination that he's given us as a kingdom of priests is this. We are ordained. To intercede from the mind, from the heart, from the perspective, from the disposition of Jesus Christ alone for this world. We are to intercede from his heart. About a week and a half ago at Wednesday noon mass, we had the blessed celebration of St. Columba. And ever since that mass a week and a half ago, God has kept Columba near me. Because there's something about him that has to do with this role of intercession that I long for and we must become. I want to read the words of a writing describing him. Because he truly had the heart of our mediator, Jesus Christ, for the broken of this world. Listen to how he was described. Columbus' life contains many examples of how the faithful flocked to him asking for his prayers, his consolation, and counsel in various life situations. Listen to how he would greet them. The saint would often meet people on his knees, and he would wash their feet, and he would pray for them with abundant tears. The writer says he had a rare gift of tears. What are these tears? These tears are the heart of Christ over the brokenness in the one that he's looking at. It's the tears of the compassion of Christ that so ached Christ on the inside that it moved Christ to act and heal and restore and redeem that the one that was before him. And St. Columba, when the broken would come to him from the church or from the world, he would pray for them in tears because he was so united to the heart of God over their brokenness, and he would intercede from them from that brokenness, imploring that mercy be poured on them, imploring that Christ would heal them, deliver them, and bring them into salvation to be made whole again. This is how Christians must pray for this world, not to have anger and disappointment at what we see outside of the ark of salvation, or to raise the pharisaical snarled lip. We are to look at everything that's going out there right now, which Christ is well aware of, and what is his heart? Holy mourning. He mourns, he grieves, he aches.
loves, he longs to extend himself through his holy church to reach them and bring them in and see that they come to the peace and joy their souls can't even attain or come near touching. The role of us all is to take on the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ and to live this world out of the similar holy morning as Christ does. This is what the Lord our God meant when he spoke through the prophet Joel in chapter 2 when he said these words. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between porch and altar. That means standing in the gap between the people and the altar. That is taking on that posture of Christ our intercessor. Let them weep from his holy morning and let them weep as ones who know they are the ones most in that is how we must pray. And if we will pray with that heart of God, God will come so near us and he will honor his own heart. And we will see many find healing as they knock on these doors consistently. My friends, remember from this day, from this day of Pentecost, you are the aroma of Christ. Be Give yourselves to him in such a way that the world sniffs him out and finds his love.